0: On my last Sunday, Jerry is turning nice uh, to me, <laughs> and I'm, I'm grateful. The I, <laughs> I want to I add my own personal thanks to the dancers. My first or second Sunday here, um, I saw Hula in church for the first time, and I asked, could we do that one more time before I leave? And so... I'm responsible for that. Aren't you glad that I asked? (laughs) Now, there's a reason, I didn't know this at the time, there's a reason that uh, I needed to have them dance. I I needed some affirmation today. It is my last Sunday with you. Uh, Some members of the staff have been a little eager for me to go. (laughs) This week, I had an email a notice from our internal communication program saying, and I quote, You have been removed by Danny. He and I have had words about that since. Then I had a note. Uh, it, w- it was a general note, not to me personally, but it, I took it personal from Jerry. Uh, you understand, I, this is the 14th. This is the 14th Sunday. The note said, Pest control is coming Monday. (laughs) I'm sitting at my desk in the office, and a couple of men from Jerry's department came into the room. Sorry to disturb you. They weren't at all sorry, but, you know, we say that. And they did disturb me as I watched them measure my office, for the improvements that are now going to be made. (laughs) I've just had the best time with you all, in spite of the the way I'm treated by this stuff. I've had the best time with you. (laughs) It's been so much fun. Today, I want to end, though, on a serious note. I want to... I want to tell you what I've been meaning to tell you all along. The scripture for it is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. The Apostle Paul writing, we're picking up his letter after he's been talking about what we have received from Christ. And because of that, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Going down the list of all the people here I need to thank, it would take all of my sermon time, but I must say a word about Pastor Ron and the elders. Uh, I guess I should thank Nancy Pace too, because she's the one who put us all together, but they made the decision, I know you didn't make the decision by yourself, to invite me to come and and speak for you during these five months. I've got to... thank pastor ron because of the way he has wonderfully led all of us through his journey reminding us that his life that his life has been focused on Jesus concentrated on what's most important for him for us i i confess i'm older than pastor ron and i have learned a lot from him in my time here i also <laughs> i also do have to thank the pastors the staff The many workers in this church, this wonderful congregation, I'm in your debt. Joy and I are in your debt. Now, when I came in May, I asked myself, what should I preach about during this five-month period? A few suggestions for the transition. I knew I needed to talk about those. A little advice from one who's been in the ministry a long time. What else? I knew for certain that I should preach the gospel, that I should major in majors, not on minors. Now, I should give a little advice on how to run the church, how to prepare for the change that's coming, how we can best walk together through this grieving process that we've been sharing, and what we should do as we anticipate our new leader coming. That's it, basically. But mostly and I knew this from day one I should focus on Jesus and the gospel and the gospel is good news. And we could use some good news. Our world is pretty much in a mess which our politicians will be telling us with ever increasing noise between now and November election. The swamp hasn't been drained. The economy, even though it seems to be booming right now, is perpetually under some new threats. Our foreign policy vacillates. We're never quite sure we're getting the whole story. Our national morals seem to be spiraling downward. Our children often seem to be rebels without a cause. Our schools are in crisis, and on and on and on and on goes the litany of bad news. And what's even worse is when we look inward. We're quite adept at making a mess of our personal lives, too. Now I've told a, a lot of stories from my life. I wonder what you think if I were to tell stories from your life. Telling the whole congregation and out over the airwaves about you. Leaving nothing out, I mean. Telling the secrets you've hidden, maybe even some secrets you've hidden from yourself. Now, don't worry, I won't tell them. I won't tell you all of mine, either. Because here's the troublesome truth, and it applies to the best of us. Much of the time, in most of our lives, we're at odds with God. Now, Paul's talking about the new life we have in Christ, a new life that God has made possible so that we won't be at odds with God. Here it is again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What wonderful words about reconciling, about reconciliation, about putting back together that which has been forced into separation. And Paul doesn't leave it to our imaginations. Our, our trespassing did it, he said. Broke the connection between us and God. Our addiction, our addiction to going where we don't belong. Our, our going in where the keep out signs say keep out. We ignore the signs. Crawl under the fence or sneak through the window. Hearts pounding, eyes and ears alert to anybody who might come by and catch us there. There's a part of us that doesn't seem to grow up. That hears the voice saying, no, no, that's a no-no. But does it anyway, sometimes just for spite. So, when the preacher quotes Romans 3.23, nobody has to explain it to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand that. And and we understand this verse from Romans. For the wages of sin is death. You keep on going in that direction. You're back to God. You're back to your loved ones. You're back to your obligations to your friends. Your duties to your church and your community and your world and your relationship die. And you shrivel up. Your journey on that path is accompanied by loneliness, confusion, meaninglessness, hunger. There was a British writer and TV commentator a few decades ago named Malcolm Muggeridge, well-known. He said in one of his writings that he used to keep in his office a large metal box with thousands of letters in there. Letters that people had written to him, he said, revealing the extraordinary spiritual hunger which prevails today among all classes and conditions of people, from the most illiterate to the most educated, from the most lowly to the most eminent. And that hunger, he writes, isn't satisfied with the various moral and theological and sociological disputes of the day. No sophisticated theologies and philosophies come to our aid aid. The only means, he said, of satisfying that hunger remains the bread of life which Jesus offered with the promise that those who ate of it should never hunger again. The promise stands. Now, these words mean a lot. Coming from a man who through most of his life, even in his most preeminent period, was an avowed atheist, going his own way, gaining great fame, gaining greater dissatisfaction until he finally gave in and let God be God in his life, no longer hungry, no longer at odds with God, reconciled, connected. I I want to say a word about that connection. Now some of you know that I used to be a biker. One of the things I like best about Pastor Ron is he understands vehicular transportation. When I retired as a senior pastor at Central Christian Church in Mesa after 20 years, my retirement gift was a Harley. It's a great church that would give a 60-year-old man a Harley. (laughs) Now, the reason that they gave me the Harley is that they knew I was too cheap ever to buy one. I'd had three motorcycles prior to that. The one that I was... Riding at the time was a Honda Shadow, 1,100 cc's. Wonderful bike. Well, I hadn't had that bike, but a few days, really, When in Mesa, we were hosting our annual National Senior Adult Christian Convention. And a couple of friends came down from Oregon to Arizona for that convention. Good friends. And good friends share their joy. So I dragged them from the church a couple of blocks away to where we live, so I could show off my new motorcycle. Now, you know how it works with kids and dogs when you want to show off? They don't perform. So I wheeled out my Honda Shadow and cranked it up, except that it wouldn't crank. It simply was dead. Well, I'd had a little battery trouble already with that, so I knew that it was the battery, and I knew that with a little push, it would go. So I asked my friends, good friends, would you just give me a little push? It'll start. So they pushed me. Seventy years old. They pushed me. They pushed me up the block. (laughs) And they pushed me down the block. And at the end of it, they were red-faced and panting. (laughs) And we were not such good friends. I couldn't imagine what was wrong. Before it started out, I had flipped the switch to open the fuel line the line between the gas tank and the engine. I was checking everything off. I knew I'd done that, but just in case, I looked again. And that's when I discovered that when I thought I was turning it on, I was turning it off. And no fuel was going through. It's it's amazing what a difference a little thing like that would make. As soon as I flipped it, it started right up. I had to reconnect it. Now, you and I, we're we're built to be social, to be in relation to God. It's a lot easier to reconnect the source of fuel to the engine of a motorcycle than it is to reconnect the broken soul to the source of our strength. Now, once I opened the line running from the gas tank to the engine, everything was fine. The reason, in spite of all God did to make it easy for us, the reason that reconnecting ourselves to our spiritual source is not quite as easy, as simple, is that we keep slipping back into our old habits, our old dodges, our old sins. We we, uh, strengthen our estrangement from God. We don't stay connected. Now, I'm taking a long way around to describe a condition that we're altogether too well acquainted with. The passage we're looking at describes human beings, not motorcycles, human beings bucking and smoking and wheezing and scared and lonely and alienated. That is, at odds with God. And life for people has become too complicated for us to fix ourselves. Let me quote again. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Now, that's the part I quoted. It points to a life so thoroughly out of sync, having been cut off from the source of spiritual energy, that it seems devastating. But, but I stopped too soon. Here's the, rest, here's the rest of that passage. The same verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. I also quoted Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know that. I know that. You also know I stopped too soon that time as well. Because the next verse says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. Now, you put those together, those verses from Romans, together with the passage we're studying here from 2 Corinthians, and here's what you get God has taken the trouble to rescue us from our trouble, and that changes everything. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we're convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. At the heart of this passage is a cross. It points toward God in one direction, toward people in the other directions. Even out of context, it has meaning, a simple plus sign, a reminder that there is more to life than most people are aware of, especially if they're at odds with God. But when they, when we, get it that God has gone to all this trouble to repair broken lives, to reconnect with people who, for whatever reason, have become disconnected from Him, then their lives undergo a radical, wonderful transformation. They don't see themselves as losers anymore. They don't see other people as competitors or as the enemy or as obstacles in the, the way... Of their getting what they want. (coughs) Excuse me. Their whole perspective on life has changed. When I started here, by the way, they gave me big bottles of water. (laughs) I think this was a hint to shorten the sermon. (laughs) So, all of this is made possible because of a cross. And here are the words you know so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We don't often quote the next verse, John 3, 17. It's just as important. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, this is such good news that when it happened to Paul, this man who was as far away from God's real will as he could be, even to the point of persecuting and killing Christians, when it happened to Paul, when he got connected, he says, I've now become a spokesman for God. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I repeat. When you are no longer at odds with God, you gain a whole new perspective on life. You have a new set of eyes to see others more clearly and yourself. You have new hands. Your hands work better, much better, at serving others. Your heart takes on a different beat. Now, in addition to beating for yourself, it beats for others and it beats for God. You see, a whole new look, outlook. And that's why Paul urges us in Romans twelve 2, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And today's passage... So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. How many, many times, after I've baptized someone, that someone comes up out of the waters, of baptism, and it just says, I feel so clean. Oh, how good it feels to be clean. Less obvious changes will show up in our daily management of our lives. It'll show on how we spend our money, who our associates are, how we use our time, what is our attitude toward those people who disagree with us, or even maybe are our enemies. We... uh, We're better at anger management. We're better at controlling what comes out of our mouths. Even when we're angry. Most obvious of all, I think, is is the change in how we evaluate things vis-a-vis people. So from now on. We don't look from a human point of view. We're new creatures with a fresh start, no longer trying to conform to the expectations of this world. And and what used to matter so much to us doesn't matter that much at all anymore. And God and other people whom we used to take for granted, we now realize the true value of. Uh, I want to tell you how this works. It's another story about wheels. It's the most important story about wheels. In my life. It's not a new story. It took place in 1995, just one month after our daughter Candy married David. Now, the whole big extended family gathered in the Portland area, the town of Canby, to go on our first all family vacation. It's gone on every year since then. We devote a week, we come together from all around the world, and we have the best time. Well, this was our first one. We gathered at Jeff's house. Uh, Jeff and Joan were here this last week. So I was reminded of all of this. Uh, Jeff was very, I didn't tell you all that when, he, uh, when Jeff was here. He's our oldest Velcro child and uh, I just love to call him a Velcro child. He's 72 years old. <laughs> and uh, we gathered at his house. The reason we gathered at his house is because Jeff had all the, the toys. So we gathered together, and then we caravaned to Central Oregon to Cultus Lake for our week together. Now, caravan. We, uh, we took Jeff's truck. Jeff's truck was pulling Jeff's trailer. In Jeff's trailer was Jeff's Jeep, and Jeff's jet ski on the jet ski trailer, and the kayaks and all. He had the toys, I'm telling you. The next vehicle was Jeff's motorhome, pulling Jeff's boat. We, we had to be really nice to Jeff. <laughs> Down the highway we went, we got to the campground, and we set up for the evening. Now, Candy and David were not yet with us uh, because of work. They had to drive up separately from California. They arrived sometime in the middle of the night. In the morning, uh, Brian and Mike and I had to go into the next town. This is before cell phones. We had to go into the next town uh, to call our offices, about a 40, 45-minute drive, unless you get lost, which we did and we were gone most of the morning. When we came back, driving into the campground, the first face we saw was Jeff's. And uh, it was obvious he wasn't a happy camper. And he led us to the boat ramp at the lake. And we began to understand. There, there on the ramp sat his jeep. Uh, shall we say, disgorging itself of excess liquidity. <laughs> Beside him, it, on the ramp, was David in a vertical fetal position. He was a sad guy. Did I mention to you that he and Candy had been married one month? Here's what happened. Because we were late coming back from making our phone calls, Jeff decided, thinking of others, of course, that he should launch the jet ski, check it out, make sure that everything was fine. Which he did. He he backed the jeep out of the trailer, backed the jet ski on its trailer, hooked the jet ski trailer to the jeep, backed the jeep and the jet ski down the ramp, prepared to launch it. As he was getting on the jet ski, David, who was watching all this, asked if he could help. Now, what I'm about to tell you is not David's fault. It's because he's too young. 30, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> he got into the Jeep because Jeff said, yeah, you could help. Just uh, pull the Jeep up. There There was a parking area up above. and Just pull it on up there. <laughs> and uh, David was glad to do that. So he got in the Jeep. Slipped uh, into the into gear. Now, this is why I told you, you, you have to be kind of kind to David. He didn't know better. He'd only driven manual transmissions, four-speed manual transmissions, and automatic transmissions. He didn't know about three-speed transmissions. And Jeff's Jeep was older, but it looked pretty new. So, he got in, put it in gear, left and up, Released the clutch and started going backwards. Well, he's quick, and he stopped immediately, and he thought to himself, hmm, this ramp is steeper than I thought. So he hit the accelerator a little harder, released the clutch, and went back even faster. Now, on the shore was Kristen, Jeff's daughter, and she knew that lake, and she knew that there was a precipitous drop-off. And so she yelled, get out of the jeep! which David did just in time. Now, as Jeff on the jet ski is approaching the ramp, he detects something amiss. He sees the jeep not at all. He sees David on the ramp, that vertical fetal position, rocking back and forth. He gets off of the jet ski, wades... Over to David. David looks up and says, <clears throat> I owe you a Jeep. <clears throat> the Jeep was buried. Now fortunately, Jeff is a master mechanic, and so he went up and got the truck, and he drove the truck down the ramp. He dove into the water because he had a winch cable on the front end of that Jeep. He attached the, the cable to the truck. Then he dove back in again to take the Jeep out of gear, put it in neutral. That's when he discovered that it was in reverse. And when we arrived, Brian and Mike and I, and we walked to the ramp, there was the Jeep still really draining itself. And there was David. Did I mention that David had been in the family one month? (laughs) Can you imagine what was going through his mind? He didn't, know, he didn't know any of us, really. And I was feeling so sorry for him, and I wanted to say something to him, I, but I have an affliction when I'm really emotional. I can't talk. And I couldn't say what I wanted to say. Brian, who was beside me, took over. And he said just the right thing. David, when you consider what these men have lost, What's a Jeep? Because just one year earlier, we had lost our son, who died at his own hand. Five years before that, Jeff's son, Sean, was killed in a motorcycle accident. One month before I was to fly to Oregon to marry him and his fiancée. When you consider what these men have lost, what's a jeep? Compared with losing a son, what's a jeep? I'd give anything I have to have my son back. I wouldn't want to be who I was before I lost him. His death gave me a new way to look at life. And so now when I'm stressed out, I try to remember. I don't always. I try to remember. It's only a Jeep. You see, I can't, I can't regard even a Jeep from a human point of view any longer. There was a time when I thought the motorcycle was important. When I thought my job, my reputation, my, my toys were important. But nothing. Do you understand? Nothing. Nothing can compare with the value of your son or your daughter. God had a son, the Bible says. And the same Bible says that that son went to a cross. is God's way of telling us, his other sons and daughters, that nothing, nothing matters more to God than his children, you and I. And we should not be at odds with him any longer. That we should let nothing, nothing stand between us and God. This story, by the way, applies to a church in transition. You'll be making some important changes in the days ahead. Sometimes you'll feel stressed. You won't like everything that's happening. You might even feel like complaining. But it may be that what you're being asked to give up is only a jeep. Well, this is what I meant to tell you all along. The church's good news, have you been paying attention? The good news of the church is that God has done everything needed so that we'll no longer be at odds with Him. He's tried to make it totally clear how important, how important We are, all of us, and that applies to those who are not yet a part of the church, compared to you and your relationship with God and the people God has put in your life. Everything else is just a Jeep. And what's a Jeep?